I um, uh, find out something that I, I found really, really beneficial, something really helpful, maybe a bargain somewhere, some money off somewhere, some way of claiming some money, usually involves money, some of those things, you, you want to go and tell it to the people, don't you? You want to share that good news with other people. You want them to be blessed like you'd be blessed. And we've been thinking a little bit tonight through our songs and through, uh, through our Bible reading and through the, the verses from Ephesians 2 at the beginning of what it means to be set free and to be given life and life in all fullness. And this is a message we have to share with the world around us. But we're living in a time at the moment where um, the world around us doesn't necessarily want to hear that. They're happy to hear you talk about where they can get a bargain or some money off or claim some money, all those things, something that they see will benefit their lives. But when we share the gospel with people, they're not aware that it'll benefit their lives. And most of these people in CAP and the things we've, we, we saw tonight with this guy, you know, he thought, well, I've got some people coming. But they gave him far more than that. They gave him life in the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and that's what we have to offer people. But how do you give that to people when they don't want to hear it? How do we share Christian truth in a secular world? It's a, it's a great challenge for us, isn't it? Uh, yesterday at Church on the Way, um, uh, I had a conference, me and a guy from Barnabas um, from Branch FM, this uh, a conference called Truth Without Compromise. It was our second one yesterday. You're always a little bit worried when it's five to ten and not many people are there. But by quarter past, we were full. So praise God for that. And uh, we had Andrea Williams there again, who just sets everybody on fire or winds people up or whatever. But she's just on fire sharing what's going on in our culture, in, in our secular culture. Uh, we had a lady called Bridget Bolton uh, from the Christian Association Europe. We had Phil Moon from Bradford Christian School as the local sort of guy in education, Christian education. And they all shared. But the thing that was being shared more than anything, was the state of our, of our culture and our society and for our kids growing up within that and how difficult it is for them, more difficult than ever. You know, Andrew was saying things like, you know, 10 years ago, I would have never thought we'd have been in, in this situation. Five years ago, I never thought we'd have been in that situation. A year ago, I never thought we'd have been in this, but things just changed so quickly. And our kids are growing up in a completely different culture than uh, we, what, what we might have expected and what we uh, grew up in. And so the challenge for us is how on earth do we help our kids navigate the choppy waters of, of a secular society? And it's incredibly difficult. Most people will say, well, actually, I think, um, you know, we need to plant more Christian schools uh, or even home educate. Now, all those, those things are, uh, are not easy things to do. Um, both will cost you something, either in time or finance and stuff like that. But you just see the way that the culture's going, that there's a need for us to really think about what we do with our kids. Because our children are going to be sent to these schools, state schools, where they're getting this agenda, this secular agenda. And so yesterday, again, Andrew told us about Christians who've lost jobs because they stood up for their faith, not only in education, in other areas of life. Uh, Christians who've lost their children, had their children taken away from them because they were so seen as bad parents, because they were disciplining their children in a Christian way. And um, we talked, uh, she talks as well about the, the anti-Christian educational system in which you know, um, our, our, our society now operates. And it was all incredibly challenging. But I always think more broadly about these things tonight. And so look at some of 
the issues at stake. And I want us to think about the difficulty of sharing Christian truth in a post-Christian society. And I want us just briefly to think of four things um, that we're seeing in, in our society today. And the first thing is this. There's a decline in religious belief. There's a decline in religious belief. Most people now do not have a religious belief. And we think because we're Christians and we meet with other Christians during the week that like everybody's sort of religious. So we've got Muslims all over the city, so we think everybody's religious. But the reality is most people now are not religious in any way, shape or form. So in line with that, we, we've had a, a sharp decrease in church attendance, which has been happening for years and years and years and years and continues. You see little signs of growth and life in places, but generally there's a drop, a drop in church attendance. Um, there's certainly a decline in the church being asked its opinion on anything. At one time, you would have definitely had like the Archbishop of Canterbury being consulted on anything major happening in the country. Now just see him, people see him as some weak fellow in a funny hat in London, and, and they don't want to talk to him, and perhaps we don't need to hear from him, actually, some of the things he says. But that's another story. We also find our schools as well that evolution has taught us facts. You know, it's not just a, an idea, not just a concept, just not a possibility. It's facts. So, so that gives the kids a, a start of, of atheism and secularism because there is no God. So, you know, you're all from monkeys. So if you're taught you're, you're from monkeys, you'll act like a monkey. You'll go nuts. You will because you're just a monkey. There's no meaning to life. You just do what you want. So we've seen a decline in religious belief. Secondly, we've also seen a decline in biblical literacy. And the reality is as well, uh, sadly to say as well, this, this evening in our churches, and not just in society in general, I don't know if you're like me, I, I love watching some quiz shows and my favourite's Pointless, I've probably told you that before. But uh, you know, sometimes you get really simple questions, biblical questions on the quiz show, and they don't know the answer. Do you know what is the holy book of Christians? Who are the first two people? No idea. I heard a story, sad story. Somebody heard somebody say this just recently, um, so just to illustrate this point of um, some parents walking down a street, and um, there was a, a Catholic church, and outside the Catholic church was a cross with Christ on it. And, and the kid said to the parent, Who's that? And the mum said, I don't know. And she said to the other parent, Do you know it is? I'm not sure, but is it possibly Jesus? And you think, That's just ridiculous, isn't it? The kid's asking who's on the cross. The mum doesn't know the answer to who's on the cross. Again, you know, so looking back, years back, some of us guys when we were younger, we'd have never thought we'd get to a place in our nation where people couldn't tell you who that was on the cross. But our kids and our society know nothing. There's a complete biblical um, illiteracy in our nation. A third thing is there's a decline in morality. Not just a decline in morality, but an, an acceptance of immorality. And we see that, and again, we touched on some of these things yesterday at the conference, within marriage and the family. You know, at one time, you'd have thought like it's a man and a woman and a couple of kids, maybe. Maybe if you're Mormon, more kids. Catholic, even more kids. Um, but, you know, just man, woman, and kids. Now it can be anything you want it to be. It can be two men, two women. It can be three people within the relationship. You know, you can have kids, you don't have to have kids. You can bring up the kids however you want. Because, of course, as well, the new thing as well is gender fluidity. So, again, you know, schools are under pressure not to teach that there's male and female. Things that's been known throughout human history. There's men and there's women. We're different, aren't we? I'm married. I know women are different. 
to men. They are completely different. Think completely differently. And so we, we are, there's, but there's a man and a woman. That, that's it. But now there's like, you know, 70-odd different possibility tick boxes on a form. You're like, this is crazy. And our kids are growing up with this. So there's this decline in, in morality. Again, we were reminded yesterday of since the, the Abortion Act of 1967, uh, you know, nine million abortions in the UK. Nine million. It's a culture of death that we're living in as well. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a decline in religious belief, a decline in biblical literacy, a decline in morality, and also a decline in acceptance of Christian truth. And again, just not an, it's not just about not accepting it. There's actually growing hostility towards it. And so the moment you see you're Christian, you know, you're under pressure. And you dare pray for people. We were just talking about cat there, going in the houses, he can pray for you. But you work in a hospital as a nurse or a doctor and say, can I pray for you? You work in the school and say, can I pray for you? You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be suspended. You could lose your job. And what we're being told is we either need to conform or keep quiet. And we can do neither as Christians. We can't conform and we can't keep quiet. Wasn't it great news this week about the Ashes Bakery? You know that the court ruling went for them. You know, it's taken four years to, to, to actually for them to state the obvious. You know that you know if people go people are trying to trip us up. You know, there's like a gazillion bakeries that this guy could have gone into, but he goes in there and they've got an agenda, friends. They've got an agenda. And uh, again, just because they wouldn't bake a gay cake, as they say. But it wasn't offense, as the, as the court rightly said, it wasn't about the person, it was about the message. This message is being foisted onto us, and we, we've got to go with it. We conform or we keep quiet. But what's interesting about all these things that I've just mentioned and, and our society today is that there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, these, these are not new things. Can you imagine uh, in, in Acts uh, which we've just read here from Acts 17, uh, Paul's accompanied by Silas, and they're going from Athens to Mars Hill. And a lot of the stuff we're talking about and having to confront in our society, he too would have had to confront in his society. All kinds of issues. He says in verse 16, I read, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. Notice there it says, While he was waiting... He hadn't gone there with a plan of action. You know, he hadn't gone there thinking, right, when I get there, I'm going to go and sort all these idol worshippers out. It's while he was waiting, it says, his spirit was provoked within him and he saw the city was full of idols. When was the last time our spirit was really provoked? So much so that it provokes us to action. You, you can't spend um, a day with Andrea Williams like we did yesterday and not get provoked to action she, she's calling for action somebody asked a question of her how do we combat all the sort of gay pride parades you know they're in every city how do we combat that and she's like you christians get together and you have a light parade you have a family parade you have christians celebrating life together you can do it you can do it she's winding everybody up to do it but she wants you to take action and bless her you know she takes action doesn't she she, she puts her head above that parapet. And uh, friends, we need to too. Now we can't all be Andrew Williams. And, um, but, but what is it that we need to be provoked by so much so that we're actually going to stand up for something? You know, somebody once said, didn't they, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. 
And there's a, a truth to that, isn't there? You know, and there are things that provoke us, but do we get provoked enough to action? It says here, Paul was provoked, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city full of idols. I wonder how do we feel when we walk around our city and we see it full of idols? We see our culture full of idols. What is an idol? Anything that replaces God. You know, there's an there's a, a idol worship within, within sport, within music. You know, within films, there's, there's idol worship within our buildings. Anything that we put in, in the place of God. And we see as we walk around our city, you don't have to go anywhere to find everything. Um, you know, you'd have to go abroad to, to find things. They're all in our city. Mosques, gurdwaras, temples, places that cults meet. <laughs> They're all worshipping idols. They're not worshipping the true God, the, the, the real God. And Paul sees this in this city and he's provoked to action. It's a guy attributed to a man called Edmund Burke, although it's, it's not proven, I understand. Um, he said this, uh, something you will have heard before. The only thing necessary for triumph to, uh, to, sorry, for the evil of triumph is for good men to do nothing. Triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's the reality again, isn't it? You know, we... Can we keep quiet about things we need to speak up about? Uh, I just again, I don't, I'm not going to talk about Andrew Williams all the time. He, she could hit me and speak about herself, but just something just really shook me yesterday. She talked about when she was younger, quite young, went to America to this church, and within four days of being there, she was led out on a, a, a sort of a, an anti-abortion uh, march to this clinic where they're outside this clinic, and. Um, she said, she's, this woman that she still knows really well, she just would talk to people going into, these women going into the clinic for an abortion, and she'd talk them out of it. And she said she's done it thousands and thousands of times. She said, and it's just a small lady. If you look at her, there's nothing about her, but she just goes there in faith. And there's all these thousands of kids alive now because she went and spoke up against this atrocity. Friends, we, we need to know we can do stuff. We can do stuff. What is God calling us to do? He says here that Paul met Jews, he met devout persons, they would have been God-fearers, they were Gentiles who had some respect for, for the Jewish God, and also philosophers. I heard somebody once say this about philosophers and, and philosophy. He says, philosophy, get to know more and more about less and less until you know everything about nothing. I like that quote. Say it again. Get to know more and more about less and less until you know everything about nothing. It says in verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. What do you think that's the same when we preach the gospel today? People might turn around to us and say, what are you babbling on about? They're completely clueless. You know, one time there would have been some concept of the Christian message, the gospel. Even people might have rejected it. They've understood what we're trying to say. Now people are saying, what are you babbling about? It's like you're speaking in a foreign language. The gospel sounds strange today because of the way our culture's gone. But just as Paul had a vital message to share with his, his hearers, we do too. We do too. In verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I will proclaim to you. Paul was a master of this, wasn't he? He would, he would turn things into a gospel um, message. He would spot something. He would see something. He'd be able to turn it around so that he could tell people about Jesus. And he saw this opportunity when he saw this inscription to an unknown God. What you worship is unknown. Let me tell you what I know. Let me tell you about Jesus, the one that you should be worshiping. And in verses 24 through to the end there, there there's some message he wants to communicate to them. And just a, a few points again. The first one is this. He wants to communicate that there is a God and you need to know him. There is a God and you need to know him. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, and even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So there's four things he is sharing with um, his hearers. He's saying, first of all, you have a creator. You have someone who made you. There is a creator. Romans 1 expands on that, doesn't it? In Romans 1, it says that people without excuse, because he can be found in what's been made. You look out into the sky, you see the trees, you see the sun, the birds. You, in creation, you see there's a God. To say there isn't a God is actually foolish. Where's all that come from? Just happened by chance, they say. Just randomly. What? You need to have far more faith to believe that than you do in the God that we're talking about. There is a creator, Paul says. The second thing is he's a ruler. He created you, so he has some rule over you. He has something to say about your life and the way you're living. A third thing is the source of life. We don't come from monkeys. Some of you look like you do, but we don't come from monkeys. Um, we, we come from God. We're created in his image. That's what the Bible teaches us. And he's the sustainer of this life. So Paul is starting with a groundwork, some foundation. He's saying, you've got an unknown God, but let me tell you about this unknown God. He's a creator, he's a ruler, he's the source of life, he's the sustainer of all things. So his first point is this. There is a God and you need to know him. The second thing is this. There is a judgment and all must face it. There is a judgment and all must face it. Verses 31 and 32 says, Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. I don't know if you remember, a few years back, there were posters uh, plastered on the side of London buses that said, there's probably no God, so relax and enjoy your life. 
And again, it was sort of like atheist secularists putting these things up. There's probably no God. They can't say for definite because they haven't got the evidence for that. But there's probably no God. So relax and enjoy your life. What message is that giving out to people? If there's no God, there's no accountability. If there's no God, why is there any law? Why do we bother following laws? Where do they come from? Where does our conscience come from? Paul argues that in Romans 2. Two things why we should believe in God. One is creation and conscience, Romans 1 and 2. What, why, why would people believe there's no God? Because people want to do what they want to do. People want to live as they want to live. And the insinuation there is, in saying there probably is no God, so relax and enjoy your life, that if you believe in God, you can't relax and you can't enjoy your life. Well, you can. You can have life in abundance. And you can have peace in your life. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. Isn't it interesting? I uh, was talking to Bruce this week about um, a book that's going on sale. I don't know if it's already happened. I think it was sometime this week. Uh, it's called The Book of God, Einstein. Oh, sorry, God's A Letter to God by Einstein, in which he very clearly says there is no God. Einstein, this clever man. The Bible says this very clever, intelligent man is a fool. It's a fool. The wisdom of the world's foolishness. And Paul says there is a judgment and we need to confront people with that truth. You know, we, we call to be loving, aren't we, as believers? And the most loving thing you can do when you see someone in danger is to warn them of that danger. You know, so we've, we've said stuff like this before. You walk out of here tonight, you see a house across the road, it's on fire. You just whistle and walk on. Is that loving? Do you do? You go and see if there's anybody in there, you get them out of it. And we know that there's going to be a judgment. And Paul's saying this to these people. Every one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we need to warn people of that. And it's up to them then what they do with it. But we warn them. There's a judgment to come. But we do it in love because we love people. The third thing is this. There is a saviour God has sent. There is a saviour God has sent. It says the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Don't hear the word repent or repentance much these days. You'd even hear some Christians saying, well, probably shouldn't use that word really. You know, people don't understand it, you know. Well, we should use that word, and if they don't understand it, we explain it. I think it's okay to call people to repentance. They need to repent. We need to repent before a holy God. So we use that word. Paul says you need to repent. The, the time has, has come now. God's got, not going to overlook this anymore. He commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge people. So people must repent we mustn't shy away from that word and I think as well we need to be clear and we're not always clear on this as believers when we share our message that coming to Christ in repentance and faith is not just an add-on to our lives it's just another addition something we, we put onto our lives so we carry on living like we've always lived we may be taught like we've always taught we do the things we always like but we just added Christ on there as well no Christ comes into our life brings righteousness in our life, the righteousness of God, and then we become holy with sanctification. we sanctified, made right before God. 
and we continue to live in holy lives, it changes us. Again, you know, Bruce and I do a radio show, and Bruce gets really wound up on the radio show. I don't know why. Um, but we, we were looking, we've been looking at uh, quotes that Christian people say that we don't understand. So we'll just quote some stuff, and we're like, you know, we're Christians, but I've got a clue what this person's trying to say. But one of the things that we were looking at was um, a, a, a lady pastor in, um, in America, and her language is shocking, Bruce, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you would not hear some of the things she says in a working men's club. And she says, you know, God loves me just as I am. Well, yeah, you don't want you swear. You don't, you don't want that language. What about holiness? What about sanctification? Friends, when Paul is saying here you need to repent and come to Christ, and if you truly do that and we have faith in him, we then allow him to change us. And we become holy because of him. It says in verse 32 that after hearing this message, some mocked. There are always going to be people who mock. You know, um, if you go and do any open air preaching, you're going to have people mocking you there and baiting you and laughing at you, maybe even throwing things at you. One of my claims to fame is somebody once threw a tomato at me when I was speaking in the open air. I felt like John Wesley. I like getting. This, I must be saying something right. But um, some mocked. The uh, Scottish evangelist W.P. Richardson said this, when you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that's been hit. You think about that in the context of maybe of open air preaching as well. But usually it's the one that's making the noise, the one with the objection, it's the one that's being got at. It's the one that God's speaking to. So those who mock and those who object are usually the ones that actually God is beginning to work in their life. So we want a response. We want a response from people. It's the apathetic ones we have to worry about. But the ones that respond, some mocked, but he didn't put Paul off and it shouldn't put us off either. Because we find then further on in verse 34, but some believed. Some believed. It says, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Isn't it encouraging that Paul, in that similar kind of culture in which we find ourselves today, still preached faithfully the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that people need to repent and come to faith in Christ. And as he did it in the midst of being mocked, in, in, in the midst of people thinking, what are you babbling about, you idiot? you countercultural. God still used him. And friends, he's still going to use us. He's still going to use us today. Even though we might be mocked, vilified, laughed at, get ourselves into trouble for it. But God will use us. People will have ears to hear. And I think the crazier society gets, and it is crazy, and it's getting crazier by the minute, the more people are going to look for sense and meaning and purpose. And we know that's only found in the Lord Jesus. So let us be like um, uh, Peter and John were in Acts 4, 19 and 20. It says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Friends, let's not be quietened by our culture, our society. Let us not speak, stop speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but in faith believe God will use us to reach people for him. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a closing song together.
And uh, we're going to sing in Christ alone. So we'll stand together to sing and then I'll close in prayer. <clears throat>